So today in John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn there, please. We're going to encounter a story with Jesus and a man at a pool. And since it's almost summertime and since the story is about pools, I looked up some interesting facts about pools. I don't know why. That's just what I do in my spare time. That's how weird my life is. And here are just a few things about pools. For instance, the largest swimming pool is in a resort in Chile. It's over 20 acres long, holds 66 million gallons of water, which is equivalent to 6,000 residential pools. How crazy is that? Can you imagine being in a pool that large? I thought that was fascinating. Or this one. The world record for the longest swim in a pool is Sarah Thomas, who swam continuously for 104.6 miles. I cannot swim continuously for 104.6 seconds, let alone... A mile, or a hundred miles, of course. That is incredible. She must have been very hungry afterwards. The world's highest diving board ever recorded was 112 feet in the Cascade swimming pool in Virginia. It attracted many daredevils and people that wanted to try to attempt a dive at 112 feet. I don't know how many survived, but that's crazy. But maybe the greatest illustration or fact I found about pools has to do with pool noodles. The longest swimming pool noodle, of course, is in the United States because, you know, is 10,178 feet. They took normal pool noodles, which were about four to six feet long, combined them to make a pool noodle of 10,178 feet. Yes, I did the math. That would be about close to 2,000 connected normal pool noodles put together to form the longest pool noodle. So now, when you go to lunch today and you're trying to impress somebody, you can say you know how long the world's largest pool noodle is. You can say you learned it at church and everyone's going to want to come to the chapel, right? (laughs) But today, I think there's an even cooler story about a pool that's far beyond what we just talked about in the Gospel of John because it involves Jesus and a pool that we're going to look at that meant so much to people. And it's the pool of Bethsaida. And here's the story of that in John chapter 5. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Jesus was away and it was custom, especially for men, because they oftentimes had to make sacrifices during one of these festivals to come back to wherever they were, or come back from wherever they were to Jerusalem to be able to partake in one of these festivals. So Jesus, being a Jew, is coming back to do that. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. This is probably on the north side of the city. And this pool meant so much to people because to so many people who were sick, or who had issues, it was like a hospital for them, an open-air hospital, because that pool signified healing. Literally, Bethsaida means the house of mercy, that people would go to to hopefully that God would give them mercy and heal them with this pool. And the whole thing about the pool is, hopefully, when they were there, the pool would start to stir. Some people think it stirred because of the, there was a hot spring, and so it would stir naturally. 
There was folklore there that an angel would come and stir the waters. And if an angel would do that, and the first person to step in would be in there first, and they would be healed. And so when those waters started to stir, someone wanted to jump in. There was something said about this pool that it had minerals that it could heal them. Going back to ancient times where the Greeks really believed in this pool therapy even before we thought of it even today. It goes back generations. This pool meant so much to people. And around that pool were crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, and they lay on these porches. So imagine probably hundreds of people every single day thought this pool would mean healing for them. And many people who were sick, blind, paralyzed, they couldn't walk, would all gather around these pools in hopes that somehow the waters would turn on and start to stir however they would, and that someone could go in there and walk away with being healed. It was a pool of potential hope for so many. Jesus comes around that kind of pool. And I think you know where we're heading as we go on. Verse 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. If you were paying attention, I went from verse 3 to verse 5. If you have a Bible, look at your Bible. Do you see verse 4? You probably don't. Verse 4 was left out of our translations now because in early manuscripts, verse 4 wasn't recorded enough to be able to then carry through to our translations because we want the most accurate translation that we have. And because they didn't feel that verse 4 was accurately shown in the early manuscripts, they left it out. So we skip ahead to verse 5. And in verse 5, there is a man laying there who has not been able to walk for his entire life for 38 years. Now, in America, the average lifespan is 79 years old. In the first century, the average lifespan was 35 years old. Which, good news for this guy, is that he has exceeded the life expectancy. But the bad news is, for his entire life, he has been lame. He hasn't been able to walk. And I just think about somebody like that. I, I have some friends of mine, Tyson Gentry, who was injured later in life in an accident in Ohio State when he's playing football. He's paralyzed. I think of Erin Herb at our Norwalk campus. She is a newer mom. She was just married, and she was in a single car accident, and now she's paralyzed. I think of my buddy Jeremiah Mikatsuk, who he was here with us last year as an intern. He attends Saturday night, has been basically uh, incapacitated since he's been born. Doesn't even know the feeling of walking. And looking around and just seeing everybody walking by, living their life, and here's this guy, obviously old in age, according to the first century, and he can't walk, he can't live like anybody else. He represented a mass of people that would have been at this pool, hoping, praying for a miracle. Well, in verse 6, we see Jesus. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Of all the people that are gathered around this pool, Jesus sees this guy and he goes up to him. He sees him and interacts with him. 
And if you were here last week, we looked at the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus, the same thing. He had to go to where she was. He had to cross boundary after boundary to get to where she was because he had to have a conversation with her. He had to interact with her. He had to offer her something. The same thing is here too. All of these stories that we read in the Gospels are real people that Jesus crosses boundaries, or he goes to make sure that in his travels, he goes and sees certain people to interact with them and offer them something. Because underneath of who Jesus is, we describe him with one word. He's compassionate. That word compassion is this Greek word, splagchinzomia. You want to try that a couple times saying that? Splagchinzomia, that's even better. Splagchinzomia. It is the Greek word that means compassion. And I think sometimes when we think of someone who's compassionate, that could be you, that could be a family member, you think of someone who feels deeply for somebody. And if that's your definition of compassion, you are partly correct. But it's not just feeling deeply for someone that characterizes someone as compassionate. To be compassionate is a strong stirring within you that then causes you to act on a person's behalf. If you see someone in need and you don't help them, we call that pity. Oh, I just feel so badly for that person. Oh, that person just needs so much help. But if you don't act on that, it really doesn't mean anything. But when you feel for somebody, And it's so strong within you that you have to do something on their behalf because they really can't do it on their own. Then you are compassionate. One of the greatest scenes of compassion in the Gospels is found in the story of the prodigal son. The younger son turns his back on his father, asks for his inheritance before his father dies. You don't receive an inheritance until someone dies. He wants it beforehand. He wants nothing to do with the father. He wants what he can get from him. He takes all of his money, turns his back on his father, goes and lives this wild life. And in doing so, he wastes all of his money. He's back to square one. And not only is he broke, he has no relationship with his father anymore. And he knows deep down his father loved him so much, but he has nothing anymore. In fact, he is so broke, he's in such a low point that he finds himself in a pig pen eating the pig pods. I took my daughter to a farm this past week on a field trip, and we saw this pig. He was 1,200 pounds. He was disgusting. (laughs) And he is just loving the mud. The kids are throwing bread. He's snorting. I mean, it's disgusting. And I'm thinking to myself, this dude is such in a low position that he would be hanging out with Wilbur here. That's not his name, but that's what I call him, Wilbur. I mean, what a low spot. And finally, the son, as he's eating the same things as pigs, he's thinking, you know what, all right, I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go home, and I will ask my father to be one of his servants. I'll just work for him. I don't need to be his son. I forfeited that a long time ago. I just need to work for him. I just need to be around him. Unbeknownst to him, the father is waiting and longing for his son to come home. We read this in Luke chapter 15. While he was still a long long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He sees his son coming. 
filled with love and compassion. He doesn't just stand there and wait for his son to come and give him a lecture and say, dude, you wasted all of my money. You turned your back on me. Yeah, you can become one of my servants. Maybe you can work your way back into my life and into my love. No, he doesn't do that. Filled with compassion, he what? He goes. He runs. He hugs. He embraces. He loves. Because compassion is not just feeling something for someone. It's doing something on their behalf. He welcomes him back in as a son. He didn't deserve that. He turned his back on his father, but he's filled with compassion. He has to move on his behalf because he knows if not, what is gonna happen to his son? Jesus, filled with compassion, goes to the woman in Samaria because she was so lonely and she had such a past. Everyone left her alone. This man, filled with compassion, Jesus goes to him because he can't walk. He doesn't have a life that everybody else has. He's filled with compassion. He has to move towards that person. He moves towards the people that need him the most. He acts in their behalf. In other words, a way to think of this is Jesus moved towards those in need, not the comfortable. He moves towards those who are broken, not the self-righteous. This guy knows he needs healing. He places himself by this pool. Jesus, he goes to him. He wants to act on his behalf. And as Jesus does that, he asks this weird question. Would you like to get well? If I came up to you today and I was like, hey, if I could make you a multimillionaire right now, no strings attached, would you want it? You would look at me like I'm crazy. Like, where do I sign? Like, yes, of course, I would want that. This guy, he is completely lame. He can't walk. He's never walked in his entire life. He puts himself next to this pool. He's waiting to be healed. And Jesus is like, do you want to be healed? Like, no offense, Jesus, but that is a dumb question to ask. Why in the world would Jesus ask this question of this man who obviously wants to be healed? Or does he? funny you read something from Jesus you're like Jesus what are you doing and then you read on and you say like oh okay that's why you're God and I'm not (laughs) because you would think his response would be are you kidding me yes I would do anything to be healed the man says I can't sir sick man said for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. And someone else always gets there ahead of me. Of course, you're thinking logically, yeah, he can't. He can't walk. (laughs) He can't put himself in the pool. So what's wrong with this? But do you notice there's no passion. There's no desire. There's no like, yes, I want to be healed. And no, he doesn't know Jesus is God yet, so we'll give him that one. But like anyone who would come up to me, and ask me, do I want something to change in my life? I would be like, yes, I do. Like, I'll do anything for this to happen. This guy has never walked before. Yes, that's my desire. Everyone else gets to do whatever they want. I can't. I'm relying upon people just to get to this body of water. It probably won't even help anyways. Yes, please. I can't. And then he starts making excuses. Well, no one's there to put me in. Even if they do, it's like there's just no desire there. It's like he makes up excuses. Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? I was reflecting upon this, and I was reading something that J.D. Greer said, and I thought, that's it. It's not just the man who 
is making excuses, so to speak. It's what we do to Jesus. J.D. Greer, puts it this way. He says, here's what Jesus was getting at. While many people want to experience the benefits of healing, they don't want to go through the painful choices that must accompany, accompany healing. We usually want God to clean up the mess of our lives without dealing with the choices and patterns that got us into this mess. It makes me think of Augustine, who in his confessions described himself as praying, God, make me pure, just not yet. I want to be healed, but I don't want to go through the healing. I'm in church today. Of course, I want to get better. But then we look at our life, all six days that was leading up to this, or we look at our six days afterwards, do we really? We want to be healed, we just don't want to go through the healing. We make up excuses too, we're like, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? We're like, yes, I want peace, I want joy, I want you to answer my prayers, I want to go to heaven someday, aka all the benefits I want what you can give me. I don't want you, though. I want to be healed. I want to go to heaven. I want everything to be good, but I don't want to own my part. I want to be healed, but I want to continue to drink. I want to be healed, but I'm going to continue to hang out with these friends. I want to be healed, but I don't want to be generous. I don't want to cut up my credit cards. I'm going to continue to spend. I want to be healed, but I won't put up any parameters on my phone, and I won't stop looking at pornography. I want to be healed, but I'm not going to stop flirting with that person at work. I want to be healed, but I'm not going to get up early and read the Bible and pray. I stayed up late the night before watching Netflix. I mean, yeah, I want to get healed, but none of us want to go through the healing. It's so funny. Jesus says to follow me. And what we think about it is, okay, you're going to make my life easy. No. When he says to follow me, he says, take up your cross. Literally, die to yourself. Die to what you think will bring you fulfillment. Die to what you think life is about. Die to yourself, and I will give you what you want. You want to be healed? You must own your healing as well. So many of us long to be close to Jesus but we don't want to give up any control to him. This guy's like, yeah, I mean, I I want to be healed, but I don't really want to be healed. And I think that's what we're really saying this room. I I want Jesus, but I want Jesus in my own terms. I don't want to go through the pain. I don't want to say no. I don't want to have to say yes. I don't want, I just want to be healed. Then we make up excuse after excuse. And then we wonder why nothing changes in our lives. This guy may have put himself next to the pool, That's all he was willing to do. You may come to church. Awesome. Congratulations. That means nothing. It means something. Not everything. Church is the easy part. Following Jesus is the hard part. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Jesus comes to you with compassion. He will change you. He will do all the hard work. He will do all the hard lifting. What are you willing to do? What are you going to do? Now, Jesus, if you think he's compassionate here, 
take that up a notch times a million. Like, you can't even fathom his love and compassion. For this guy makes excuses, right? But look what Jesus does here. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Even though, oftentimes Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And we don't put the work in. He still can do things that we can't even imagine. God is that kind. He's so loving. But I'm just telling you, most of the time it's not this. The miracle is that Jesus has come to you and he wants you and he will change you. But are you willing to be healed? Are you willing to allow God to heal you? Are you willing to go through that process? And sometimes he'll do it easily. and Other times he really wants us to combine with his effort to do what he's doing in our lives. But this guy, he gets up, he walks, and then we continue on. Jesus, later in John 5, says this, And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he's granted that same life-powering, or life-giving power to his Son. Jesus says this. Go back to what he says to the paralytic. He says, get up and walk. He doesn't get him and throw him into the pool like he thought should happen. He literally says, get up. By the power of his word, the guy stands up and walks. Later in John chapter 5, by the power of his voice, he says, if people hear my voice and intend to follow me at the end of life, you will stand up and walk for eternity. By the power of his word. That's how powerful Jesus is. I think in our culture, we diminish God's power. We don't think he can do what we want him to do, but by the power of his word, this guy found out that Jesus can, not just in the temporary, but in the eternal. Get up and walk. There's power in his word. And what's so great is we have God's word in our fingertips every day. We can't make an excuse, I forgot my Bible. Well, you have it on your phone. We always have our phones with us. I'm telling you, you're getting into God's word and you're getting into chair time. You're spending time with him. Eventually, you realize you're able to walk, walk in freedom by the power of what he is saying to you and you are applying to your life. Jesus continues on. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath so that Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. And the guys, and they said, who said such a thing as that? They're like, wait a minute here. You have been healed on the Sabbath. That can't happen. Stop and reflect on this. A man was just healed and the religious leaders of the day are angry. <laughs> Do you see the irony in that? Imagine someone in this room who can't walk or is blind or whatever. All of a sudden, boom, he sees or he's walking. Listen, the rest of the day, whatever you have planned, we're canceling that because we're having a party. <laughs> you're getting your credit cards out and you're ordering food and we're going to have lots of just fun because somebody is healed. Like, wouldn't that be our response? We'd be throwing that thing on Facebook, Instagram. We're putting videos up. We're going viral on the news. I mean, we are going crazy. And the religious leaders say, that can't happen. 
And then they find out it's Jesus. So Jesus, he kind of slipped into the crowd afterwards. They find out it's Jesus. And they get even more mad. <laughs> Look what they say a little bit later. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Why? For not only he broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making him equal with God. Jesus heals somebody. They want to kill him. They want to kill him because they've put God in a box. They want to kill him because they think, well, you can't work on the Sabbath. For them, it had been a Saturday. Jesus is like, well, first of all, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. I'm not really working. I'm healing. That's way different than what I've told you. The second thing is, hold on a second. You are so angry about someone getting healed. What is your problem? Shouldn't we be celebrating this act of God? Is it outside of your box? Yes, it is. It's so interesting what the commentary that I read on this verse says. He says, doesn't this reveal the Jewish leaders' values? First, they're more concerned about their rules than they are about God's rules. And second, they're more concerned about their rules than people. The religious leaders claimed to love this man, but their actions told the real story. The love of rules, traditions, and possessions are more than people. Uh, more than people can creep into our lives in subtle and dangerous ways. Think about it for your life. How often we put God in a box? It's got to be this way. He's got to do this. People have to do this. And then God does something, and you're like almost anxious and frustrated about it because it doesn't fit in your box. Jesus says, I don't fit in a box. Rules and traditions are made for man, not made for God. I'm outside of that. If you and I are more frustrated with something that happens than a work of God, then we have to check our hearts because we're no better than religious leaders who Jesus said, on the outside you look great, but on the inside you're dead. Where is your heart with the Lord today? Is it more about your traditions, your doctrines, your way of church? Or are you open to a move of the spirit that's outside of what we can conceive? We finish up with this. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Immediately you may think, something worse. Are you telling me that this guy was paralyzed because of his sin? And I would say no. This guy's been paralyzed his whole life. Jesus isn't saying that you're, uh, you're paralyzed because of what you've done. He's saying, I have healed you of your physical body, but let's talk about your heart. Like, it's good that I healed you physically, but if your heart's not healed with me, it means nothing. So stop doing this your way and follow me. This past Friday, I got news that just rocked my world Tim Keller passed away, and I have met him once, but he obviously wouldn't remember me. He did tweet at me once, which was like my claim of fame. I asked him if he would get coffee with me someday. He lives in New York. He says, I don't like coffee. That was the end of that. So, but um, I, I started to listen to his sermons in 2007 before anyone ever knew him. And knowing that he died, he was a mentor to me. He's my hero from afar. I've read everything, listened to everything. If you've ever heard me teach, you hear me talk about him all the time. And I wanted to end with a quote from him that substantiates what Jesus says here. 
He says, you and I are more, are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. But at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. Jesus is saying, your body was flawed, but I healed that. But your heart is flawed as well. And I know you're excited that you can walk, but it means nothing if you walk into hell. I want you to walk into heaven. So follow me. Trust in me. There is love and acceptance in only Jesus. And then he, I don't know what happened from there. We don't know what he ended up doing. We know he told on Jesus to the Jews. Thanks a lot. We don't know what his life is, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened to him. All that matters, it happens to you and me. How do you want to respond? You want to be healed? Great. Jesus will heal you. But will you go through the healing? And it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. You are loved and accepted in Jesus more than you can ever fathom. Let's walk away with that hope today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for you, thankful for your word, thankful that, God, by the very word that you speak, someone can stand. By the words that you speak in your word, we can stand as well. Lord, I just pray for those who want to be healed. And they're trusting in you for that, but they look at their lives like, I'm not doing anything about it. Oh, Lord, show them what your healing could be and give them the confidence and the courage to cling to you as they walk with you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. Go sign up for yes.